All right, so Michael, we have a very special guest today, none other than Alessandra Stanley, the co-editor of Airmail. And we are not going to ask her to interpret this morass that we find ourselves in with the Supreme Court. We just want to hear about her wedding. Yeah, because, I mean, at Airmail, all news is personal. So that's all we care about is how it, how it affects us as individuals. And of course, talk about bearing the lead. This week, we're talking to Alessandra about RBG. And she's like drops this kernel into our lap, which is, Alessandra, will you now tell us what you told us? Well, I told you that she officiated at my first wedding, and I'm barely able to forgive her for it now. <laughs> it was you know, when she was on the appeals court in Washington, and she actually did perform the weddings of several journalists and my college roommate clerked for her. So it was a fix. I was in. Was she a thing at that point in time? Or like, what was the... But she had not yet become the sort of the cult figure. Um, She was mostly just formidable. And I can tell you that she was admirable, formidable, and she had absolutely no small talk whatsoever. So she was not notorious yet. She was only formidable. She wasn't notorious. She was formidable. And I thought I had been prepared or warned that, you know, don't make idle conversations. She doesn't like idle talk. But she was just incredibly smart and cultivated. And I'll give you an example. I was in the warm up when she's sort of telling you how are you going to perform this wedding. We were talking and I, I knew she liked opera. And I made some stupid joke about how Salome was my favorite opera because it only has one act. And she said, huh, Strauss. Well, but what about Ariadne of, of Daxos? Do you like the first version? 1912? Or do you like the second version? 1916. You know, and you're just so overwhelmed that you just want it all to be over. And it was, as was the marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Do you hold her personally responsible? No, but I think she could have stopped it if she really, really wanted to. It's her one moment where she lacked foresight. Well, she was on the appeals court. You could have appealed to her to to stop it. But no, she was wonderful and in many ways, but scary. I think we might have finally found the one person that intimidates Alessandra. Mm, There's still Queen Elizabeth. She's alive. (laughs) Most importantly, did she give a toast? No, I completely froze the entire thing out. So I have no idea what she said, but it was perfect. And uh, it was downhill from there, really. Was she wearing one of her lace collars? No, she was wearing a robe, though. I mean, like a black robe. And what were you wearing? And I was wearing black as well. (laughs) I could see the future. (laughs) (laughs) A nice day for a black wedding. <laughs> so that's my one small glimpse into Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, I think you need a t-shirt that said, I knew her before she was notorious. <laughs> you know, that would be a really nice thing to give all her clerks. My roommate is down there because all the people who clerked for her went down to the funeral, obviously. And that would have been good if I'd only thought of it. Yeah, I saw there was a beautiful picture just now on the wire about all the former clerks on the steps of the, as they're bringing in her body, her casket. So, so we don't have to call husband number one to ask Michael's version of events. <laughs> Because <laughs> I have him here behind door number one. Let's get him on the line, Michael. <laughs> he might say that she droned on too long because he didn't get a word in edgewise, but that's a different story. And what'd you serve? Canapé? <laughs> Canapé. Did you write your own vows? Or how much authority did she have over the content of what you guys did? This was the practice round marriage. You know, it was just starter marriage. You know how that is. <laughs> no, you don't yet, but you will. All right. Well, that was a very helpful tidbit. Thank you so much. My pleasure. But what was fascinating too, you know, speaking of weddings, she was doing a wedding up until I think like last week or something, a week before, right? There was a photograph I saw, like she had officiated very recently. Well, here's the interesting thing. You know, you don't give an appeals judge or a Supreme Court judge money for, for wedding services, but you 
give them a nice bottle of wine or something similar. Just tips for future reference. So where, is that the playbook that your roommate gives you or is that just something like you, how do you know that? I think my roommate tipped me off ahead of time because she also got married with Ruth and ahead of time. So she took notes and passed them on. Is there somewhere in a shoebox, somewhere in the basement, a photograph of this? Oh, you mean one that I didn't destroy? I don't think so, <laughs> but... <laughs> I'll look. Okay. I do probably do have a picture. I hadn't thought of going to find it. I would take that photograph and I would silk screen it onto the t-shirt by, by blocking out husband number one if you choose to or just crop him out selectively. <laughs> and then the caption is, I knew her before she was notorious. Exactly. Great idea. Michael, we can sell these. Okay. We have an airmail newsstand in London. This would be a hot seller. I'm not joking. All right. Is there anything else we want to talk to Alessandra about? That's the only real news I care about is RB. So I don't care about anything else except for that. The Supreme Court, but it'll be blown up now, but I can't control that. So we'll get her on next week to talk about the latest in this issue. I feel like this is just going to be a news story, right? In the next week or so, like all the people who are married by RBG. Well, there is a great story about her obsession with summer camp. She made a special video just for campers, people who attended her camp, which was some camp somewhere. You know how some people get really attached to camp? She was one of those people. So it could be that the people will see at the, at the rest of the service, all the people, campers with little hats and shorts and stuff coming up. But that to me is like a one-act play, like the 13-year-old Ruth Bader Ginsburg up at like some, you know, Lake some Catskills summer camp, reading with a flashlight and listening to opera. <laughs> Yeah, I think she was into theatricals. <laughs> Justice Roberts said today she wanted to be an opera star, but she'd be a rock star. But, you know, it's... That's what he said? That's what he said. Wow. Yeah, it's part of his eulogy today. Probably had a good clerk write that line for him. <laughs> Kids, as you know, I'm very, very busy. I know, it's, it's nap time. No, no, I'm going out for a brisk nap. <laughs> <laughs> Alexander Stanley, now happily married. We'll, ha we'll have her back on soon. I know it's a popular demand issue. She'll be back within a few weeks, we assure you, dear listeners. Just wait till you hear about my second wedding. Thank you for reliving the past. <laughs> I know it was painful, but we all are here to support you. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. See you on Zoom. Bye. Happy Saturday, everyone. It is September 26th, and you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker, the style editor of Airmail. Hey, and I'm Michael Haney, one of the deputy editors here at Airmail. Welcome to the show. Michael, how are you? I'm good, and I'm just going to blow your cover right now, Ashley. Yeah. You show up on the Zoom call. For those of you who don't listen at home, we have a standing Zoom call, our morning meeting every day at the office with the editors. And Ashley, she's like, I'm going to be just, guys, don't don't make fun of me for where I am. And I'm thinking like she's in a panic room or something or somewhere, something bad has happened. So she shows up on the Zoom and I'm like, she's outside. Wait, she's on Houston Street. Like, she's got a mask on. Everything's fine. Like, maybe she's got to go to the doctor's appointment. And Alessandra, our co-editor, says, where are you? And Ashley says, go ahead, tell everyone where you were, Ashley. I was at a sample sale, okay, Michael? <laughs> New York is back, my friends, okay? My day started off like any other. I dropped my son off at school at 810. I was going to go for a run around Central Park. Then I got a text message from a friend. Hey, you want to go to the Ola Johnson sample sale in Soho this morning? And I said, boy, you know what? I absolutely do. I need some retail therapy. Damn right I do. Sign me up. I was actually going to text Brooke and see it. Brooke is Michael's wife. I was like, I bet Brooke would go to this with me. But yeah, my friend was already in line. So I'm like, oh, we're golden. I'll just show up and we'll walk in, buy a couple great things, some blouses for $100. I got there probably around 9.30. Wait, you were still in line and you got there at 9.30? This is an embarrassing thing. We were in line, Michael, for like two and a half hours. It was insane. Okay. I was like taking conference calls, dealing with my Slack, trying to get my stories moved along. It was horribly embarrassing. Reassure Graydon and Alessandra that we are working. That's fine. 
I got it. Guys, please don't fire me. Okay, look, I'm a style editor. Occupational hazard. I can do I can do a sample sale and do Slack. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was just standing there. Look, we've learned to remote work for a reason, right? Okay. But it was really funny. I haven't been to a sample sale in New York in a really long time, and there are very few designers I would go out for. But my friend assured me that Ola Johnson always has a good sample sale, you know, $100 blouses, $75 pants, that sort of thing. So I was willing to wait. Also, I haven't really bought any clothes in six months, and I missed shopping. I miss fashion. And I also miss that uniquely New York experience of like sweating it out in the streets, waiting to go into a sample sale. In this case, it was socially distant. So they were only letting in 20 people at a time, but it resulted in a very long wait. But let me tell you, Michael, when I got in there, I just felt like I had my life back. You know, there was something so old school about it. Women stripping down to their underwear and trying on fabulous new clothes en masse. It was a wonderful feeling. I had a great time. I miss that too. I, I miss putting on my cat suit underneath my pants. So I can go into that sample sale and strip it all off and then put it all on. Totally. I mean, look, the best part is when you see celebrities in there doing it because it's happened to me many times. I will not say who they were, but I definitely saw some very well-known people. Can't see people like that. It's not like you're, you saw them like doing cocaine in there. I mean, maybe you did, but. Yeah, well, no, I didn't. I didn't. Okay, Michael, sh- sample sales are like a sisterhood. Okay, you don't tell anyone what goes on inside. What are you talking about? It's like you talk like you have some like some secret shame. Like everyone loves a bargain. So what? Give me the initials of the celebrity, I'll guess it. SP. Mm, Sam Peckinpah. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, so I am on a retail high. It's an only a New York experience. And I, especially after this pandemic that we've been living through, it felt incredibly good to do something so normal and quotidian as go and sweat it out in the name of cheap clothing. So I have like three new blouses and I'm feeling great about life. That's your next t-shirt. Sweat it out in the name of cheap clothing. Anything for a bargain, my friend. Yeah, it's like a Barbara Kruger, like the little flashing board there. I'm glad you multitask to perfection today. Thank you very much. It's two o'clock in the afternoon and I will eventually take a shower. Okay. Do you like to take a shower at night or in the, in the morning? Uh, usually in the morning because I usually run in the morning and then I start my day accordingly. Gotcha. You know, speaking of normalcy, you know what I've noticed recently in New York City happening? Tell me. I noticed this when I was out walking this morning. I saw a double-decker tour bus going down Fifth Avenue in my neighborhood full of tourists. So there's clearly here coming back but like i couldn't believe it like hadn't seen that in a long time wow that's surprising especially given how few hotels are open at the moment yeah so someone's taking tours of the city well i can't believe how bustling downtown is feeling this week i've had trouble getting tables at restaurants the outdoor dining scene is huge as you know it feels really to me like the city is back in a major way this week it's funny like we get two steps forward and one step back in the city i think we're all learning to try and balance sort of keep up with that two-step one-step thing and i just saw something came in earlier today that the Metropolitan Opera here in the New York Metropolitan Opera is going to remain closed for the whole season. They canceled their 2020-2021 season. So that's kind of doesn't bode well for Broadway either, I'm sure. But um, it was that's incredible. I mean, they said their whole $150 million budget is probably going to have a hole blown in it now. But um, so it's not just the performances that you're going to miss. It's think of all those musicians and everyone involved in that. So it's a bit of a sobering sort of note, but I hope maybe we can start to see theater break out in smaller groups somehow too. But two steps forward one step back. I know I'm a downer. Michael's daily downer, ladies and gentlemen. Now we have it. No, but Michael, I will say I'm a big believer in ingenuity, especially in the ingenuity of New Yorkers. And I've noticed 
when I've been walking through the village for the past few days, it's been interesting to see these kind of micro music groups pop up on the streets. I saw one on Bleecker last night. There was one close to Washington Square Park off of McDougal, I think, the night before. Just groups of three or four musicians, a bassist, a violinist, a guitar player, a vocalist, all getting together and, and harmonizing for a crowd outdoors. And I thought, you know what? Live music is going to be back in New York in some way, shape, or form. It might not be one we're familiar with, but... You're right. I've seen this great sort of quartet, this sort of like Dixieland jazz group of four, I quartet or quintet they've been going around the village on friday saturday nights and not only are they fantastic but yes the resilience and and also the modernity of it which is i love it's like the guy passing the hat sort of between songs as they're playing there on the corner of i saw him on charles and west fourth street of course he also has the venmo scan code you know button to his vest so to get the cash not just in the old way but the digital way so yeah everyone's kind of finding the new path these days but as the guy reminded everyone like there's no clubs for them to play in so they're outdoors and i think if you can support them as well as the rest Restaurants, it's all, it's the least we can do to keep that vibrant fabric of the city alive. I agree completely. I walked by Jeans last night and I was half expecting to see you and Brooke sitting outside. Dude, I was there Saturday night, chicken parm, side of spaghetti, let's go. <laughs> I love it. You and I have got to go to Via Corota one of these days for lunch. You name it, I'll be there. I was there for dinner, I think I told you two weeks ago. It's fantastic. Jody was there holding court. Oh, so good. I'm going to Charlie Bird tonight. I'm so excited. I have my entire order already played out in my head. All right, well, Michael, food aside, shopping aside, let's get to the pressing issues of the week, like the posh UK set. Yeah, so we've got a couple of stories out of the UK today. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the sort of book that's blowing up all of in Britain right now? Sasha Swire. I think you can take us through this one. Me? Scandal of the week? Oh boy. Well, the Sasha Swire gossip just continues, okay? This book is, Sasha Swire is the wife of an MP. She's not an especially high profile person in the UK until now. And now she's the talk of the town because she has come out with this sort of tell-all. So we have a wonderful piece in the issue this week from Rachel Johnson, who's a writer for us. And Rachel is not only a fantastic writer in her own right, but she's also the sister of Boris Johnson and a dear friend of Airmail. And she's written a really fun piece, kind of a letter from London talking about all of the books that came out in September and she says all of the sticky juice squirts from two spoiling examples of a welcome new niche genre of publishing. Glamorous right-wingers dishing so much dirt that all I can conclude is that hell hath no fury like a Tory scorn. So she first starts talking about Sasha Swire and it turns out Rachel's sister-in-law who was the literary agent Carolyn Donay had first seen this manuscript and she had taken on the author and there was a bidding war and Carolyn had told Rachel that this book was really going to rock the establishment to its core and Rachel thought she was exaggerating, but sure enough, it's happened. Look, let's just get to why it's rocked the establishment, as they say, because I think a lot of it focuses, it seems, on sexual habits of former prime ministers and sexual proclivities of different people in the Tory party. And it seems one of Sasha's sort of like icebreakers when she was interviewing a lot of these men of power was, do you still sleep with your wife, right? Which was sort of like a gambit for then sort of them opening up. And, and um, I think we learned way too much about David Cameron's talents and Michael Gove's talents, as we might say, and their ability maybe to wield the scepter of power, as you might say. You know, the strange thing, though, Michael, is I'm actually curious about this stuff. And I cannot say the same about any of our politicians here in the U.S. For some reason, I think British politicians are frankly sexier. You're curious about the, may I make a joke, the members, quote unquote, of parliament? (laughs) 
Indeed. Look, I mean, I could never imagine myself being remotely curious. I don't even want to know what's going on, like, Shea Pence, right? But these guys, like, yeah, I'm going to read about this. Absolutely. And I'm not the only one. It's everyone in, in London, too. What I love is, as Rachel says, the gossip fairs have been very generous right now in London with this book. And it's one of the books that's sort of weirdly in London, they've seen an explosion of book sales right now. They're bigger than ever this year. And this book is one of the reasons it's happening right now. A great detail in Rachel's piece is that the book is dedicated to Sasha Swire's husband, Hugo, with one word. Sorry. <laughs> Rachel was relieved to realize that there was an index because she did, wouldn't have to read all 500 pages to find the horrible bits about her and her family. She's referred to in the book as, quote, a violent rotating column of error. And her tribe are, quote unquote, Kardashians in terms of their ability to self-publicize. But she said, no sour grapes for me. I wish Sasha well with the book and the next installment. And her reason why is quite perceptive. She says, history is written mostly by the victors and rarely by the vixens. Another t-shirt. God, we gotta get a business going, Michael. Let's do this. You should say history is written by the vixens. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I can just keep going with these all day. All right, speaking of strange families and by the way, a rotating column of air, isn't that like a tornado? I guess it's a, it sounds better than a rotating column of air. The first thing that came to mind for me was the Dyson fan. The Dyson blade? Yeah. Yeah. Strange families. That's my segue into our next story, sort of under Royal Watch of the Week, which we've got another story about Meghan Markle. So the news out of London this week is she's fired her attorney who had been sort of arguing her libel case against one of the British papers there, which had printed a letter from her father prior to her wedding. And she sued for damages. She lost the first round. So she fired her, her attorney who had been the guy defending Johnny Depp in his trial against Amber Heard, which is now on hold while he finishes filming Fantastic Beast 3. And she's hired J.K. Rowling's attorney to proceed with the case. So she's going to go forward this at the same time as she's now doing videos with Harry telling Americans they should vote and then getting Harry in trouble with the palace because, as you know, members of the royal family, even though they may be in exile, are supposed to remain apolitical. So now it's just blowing up all over the place for them. So Harry doing this video is probably backing the queen into a corner and probably going to have to make him renounce any ties to the family because even though he's still a British citizen, he's still a member of the family. Interesting to see how that plays out, right? Where does this all end? It ends on a Netflix series, right? Tune in. I guess. I don't know. It, it looks like, to me, it's sort of like that visual of the airplane like sputtering through the air and declining rapidly and rapidly and rapidly. I don't know. I just feel like in years to come, just like I've had the pleasure of watching The Crown and watching I, the, one of my favorite scenes, sort of like sub stories, is, was watching whenever they would cut back to the Duke of Windsor in exile in France and like the weirdness of him and his wife living alone. I feel like generations to come are going to have the pleasure of watching this part of the story play out or dramatized, certainly wandering around California in exile and going to meet studio executives at Netflix and, you know, trying to scrape up money. It's going to be something. The title of that episode will be Morose and Montecito. Nice. But this is the thing, the difference between the Wallace Simpson affair, those guys were exiled in Paris, right? At least there was like a social scene there. Even though they were out in Nae, there's still a lot going on. They had friends coming by all the time. They still felt somewhat connected to the UK. I mean, now they're really living in the provinces out there. You know, Oprah only lives there part time. And don't forget, he was a king briefly, right? So like, you can always say, I was, a I am a king, right? You're just a prince, prince of a guy. But you know, it's a little mm -hmm. bit different. I mean, mm -hmm. all right, to be continued, if airmail readers know 
know one thing, it is that we will continue to cover this story as it develops. All right, Michael, what should we talk about next? So two stories out of France this week, right? Toulouse-Lautrec? Yeah, Toulouse-Lautrec is a great story. God love the French because anything that happens over there, it just sounds so much better when the French say it. And this is a story. It's about the artist, Henri Toulouse-Lautrec, obviously you know who he is. He's the guy who started the movie, made with Kirk Douglas, but no kidding. But his 92-year-old great-great-niece who lived in the family Chateau, which dates to the 12th century, Chateau de Bosque. So she, it turns out, was grifted out of the home by two people who played the long game with her. Uh, they moved in with her, gradually separated her from her family, redirected her mail, changed her phone number, all while convincing her to change her will twice in 2015 and 2016 and make them the sole heirs, right? So what I love is the French have a phrase for it, and I'm going to hear now rely on my friend Google Translate. Abus de faiblesse, right? Abus de faiblesse. God. That's called abuse of weakness. It's a great phrase by the French in the French law. You basically take advantage of someone that is weak and probably infirm and not of full capacity, right? So she's now dead. They've scammed out. Now the, the remaining family is trying to sort of come after them. But this is not the only time this has happened in France. If you remember a few years ago, Lillian Abetancourt, who is the heiress to the L'Oreal fortune, she was sort of uh, gotten in league with this Sengali-like photographer, Francois-Marie Barnier, who convinced her to sign over two life insurance policies worth, I think, 500 million euros, something crazy. So that's one story we have going this week. The second story we have going this week, also out of Paris, is it's an abuse of weakness, but a weakness of different kind and a sort of a re-examining of someone's stature. Now, Serge Gainsbourg is sort of being compared to Harvey Weinstein and Dirty Denim, as we might say. The French intelligentsia, which for years is sort of defended Gainsbourg, even though, let's be honest, he's written songs about alluding to incest as well as pedophilia. But now there's a woman, a female singer in France called Leo, who basically came out last week and said, I've gone off Gainsbourg, who is quite simply a harasser. And she said he wasn't cool with girls and he was the Weinstein of songs in a certain way. So pretty sort of like strange, I mean, not strange, but pretty bold reckoning for Gainsbourg, don't you think, Ashley? I mean, look, he died in 1991, but he's still being canceled here 30 years later. There's a really telling anecdote from this piece, which was written by Adam Sage. So Gainsbourg was on a French chat show along with Catherine Deneuve. They were going to sing their 1980 hit, Dieu est un fumeur de Havane, which is God Smokes Havana Cigars. Hello, Gainsbourg wrote that one. And he was live on the air and he was apparently drunk and he began fondling Catherine Deneuve and she was struggling to take his hands off of her while she continued to sing. And at the time, the episode was sort of laughed off in the media as just further evidence that Gainsbourg was a cad. And then it gave rise to speculation that he was having an affair with Deneuve. I mean, if you look at that through a 2020 lens, it is truly outrageous. People looked at him quite leniently. And, and we've seen this also in similar recent stories about Matt Neff, the French philosopher. But the press went very easy on these guys. They tend to value intellect and genius over personal behavior. And I think we're seeing a big shift in France in terms of that. It's that shift of how you perceive something when that generation was the generation versus you look look through different lens now. And I mean, if you really want to see something as well, and it's mentioned in the piece as well, is the other appearance on French TV back in what 1986 I think it is when Whitney Houston is on this French talk show Gainsbourg is there you can google this as well on YouTube he leans across to her and just says something super filthy to her and she is stunned doesn't know how to take it and of course the time was like well that's just Gainsbourg like that's the French guy doing his thing that's the seduction in progress kind of thing but clearly when you look at it through different lens it's a little bit different right and if this is what the guy was doing on television <laughs> in front of a massive audience imagine what he was doing 
in his private life. It's a pretty damning portrait. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But what else you got? One of our wonderful writers at large, Vassie Chamberlain, hello Vassie, wrote a great piece about the Delavine sisters and their first foray into big business. Now, we have seen a major trend in the past several years of celebrities launching their own spirits line. And I'm going to bring up a Real Housewives of New York reference. Michael, are you ready? I can't promise I'll get it, but I'll get on my rony lexicon here, but I'll, I'll, I'll play along. Bethany was sort of one of the early pioneers in this space with her line of skinny girl cocktails, which she sold for several hundred million dollars. And a lot of other celebrities have followed suit. Most notably, I would say George Clooney and Randy Gerber with their line of tequila Casamigos, which by the way, I love and the mezcal is great too. And it turns out now that the Delavine sisters in London, Poppy, Chloe, and Kara have launched their own brand of Prosecco and it's called Delavite, which translates to of the vine. Anyway, the sisters are very excited about this and they did a very fun interview with Vassie Chamberlain. It's just kind of an enjoyable piece, not only because who doesn't like Prosecco, but it's nice to see siblings that are not feuding, that all get along and love one another and in fact want to build something together. Heartwarming. Yeah, and get super rich. <laughs> and get richer than they already were. So it all works out. Yeah, I, I feel bad for them. I hope they end up okay. <laughs> What do you have for us, Michael? Well, you know what I'm excited about? Tell me. The new Sofia Coppola movie, which we've got an interview with her this week, because she's reunited with Bill Murray, who, like, talk about family, but she's reunited in her, her new movie. It's called On the Rocks. It's a look at sort of Gen X marriage. And Bill plays a version of Francis Ford Coppola. Rashida Jones basically plays a version of Sofia and sort of a father-daughter kind of coming together and trying to help each other out as they, they figure out her relationship with her current husband. So it's coming out, I think, in theaters next week and on Apple TV eventually. So it's a very fun piece and it's their first reunion, as the French would say, a reunion since Lost in Translation. So it could be a fun one and it's a nice piece. Yeah, talk about a movie we should rewatch during the next lockdown. Lost in Translation or On the Rocks? Lost in Translation. Lost in Translation. All-time favorite of mine. Here's one you have to check out. One rule, if you want to make anything better, I want to make anyone watch it, tell them it's like Martin Scorsese directed it. This is a TV show that's coming out of Germany right now. It's the biggest TV show in Germany and it's called Oktoberfest 19 Okay, it does sound like a gangster movie. So a ruthless outsider muscles his way into new territory, smashing competition with contract killings, intimidation, and pure brawls. But it's set in Bavaria in the 19th century. It's about a character named Prank, who's an outsider from Nuremberg, and he forces his way into Munich's tight-knit brewing industry. He resorts to blackmail, bribery, and contract killing to seize control of lucrative beer-selling plots on his festival ground and to pursue his dream, a tent for 6,000 people. So this show is like Martin Scorsese's directing it, but it's set in Munich in 1900. So October 1900, let's see if it comes to Netflix or somewhere else. But big, big oompa oompa, Bierstein's. Michael, look, I'm going to watch it. But first, I'd like to suggest to our listeners that you go back and reread a great piece. It was published in Airmail last October, and it was written by Alexandra Marshall, one of our fantastic writers at large. And she went to Oktoberfest for us and penetrated the women's networking scene at Oktoberfest. And this is a raucous story. I knew that Oktoberfest was sort of a, a business exercise, right, for many people. It's a very big networking event. But it turns out that there are a lot of female entrepreneurs and executives who gather there and have a pretty raucous time in their dirndls. So go back and, and read this great piece from Alexander Marshall. Yeah, it was a fun piece. Rocking time in their dirndls. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of beer being consumed. Have you ever been to Oktoberfest? No, I haven't. I've been to Munich though. München. Have you been to Oktoberfest? No, I haven't. It's, I thought I wanted to go and then I read Alex's piece and decided it probably is not my scene, but I do love Munich. Yeah, and they canceled it this year. You know what wasn't canceled this year? 
And we didn't even talk about this. Just a little side note. The Tour de France, which concluded last Sunday. Who won this year, Michael? I'm glad you asked me that because it was a 21-year-old kid. His name is Tadej Pogagar. He was from Slovenia. And he was the youngest winner ever since World War II. So more amazingly, note of optimism here, they had delayed the race. It's usually held in the summer. They delayed it to, obviously, September here. But they ran the entire Tour de France and not one rider tested positive for, for coronavirus. So sort of it was a great success for the tour and cool win for for this young guy. So that was a nice nice little note for those riders out there and a lot of them. I was glad to see it happen. It's been a pretty exciting year sort of for the next generation of athletes too. We had Naomi Osaka who won the US Open. There's a lot of cool new faces and voices out there in the world of sports these days. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of great performances. Tell me. You know what I just saw before I came to record with you? Debate prep for the presidential debates and vice presidential debates is going on right now, right? Oh, how's that going? Well, do you know who is helping Kamala Harris who is playing Mike Pence for her in debate prep. Tell me. Fellow Hoosier, Pete Buttigieg. Wow. That's patriotism. Yeah. Think about that. What do you do besides just stand there with your arms like nailed to your knees? Move <laughs> your eyes side to side. Maybe he's using his Hoosier wileys to channel Pence's mind. But yeah, I just saw which would be also like a great one act play. But so there you go. That's, that's apparently who's helping her with debate prep for her vice presidential debate. And the debates are coming up soon. So get ready. We'll have that to watch. I'll come over to your house. I'll make popcorn. We'll make a night of it. Done. Do we have to wear a mask? Probably. Especially since I'm going to all these sample sales. Fingers crossed that that's not like a huge super spreader event. It could happen. Perhaps it was unwise, but I'm willing to take risks in the name of fashion. Okay. You know, I'm not going to any sample sale, but you know what I've been looking at this week remotely? Tell me. My thing, right? Which if I could buy something, I would. Right now, Sotheby's in the UK is having an auction online of Beatles memorabilia. Ooh. What are you yearning for? I'm not yearning, but I, I love the Beatles. And I just sort of like, sort of, I find myself clicking through it one, one morning. And two things. One, they have a pair of John Lennon's round granny glasses. The opening bid is starting at 26,000 pounds. So quite expensive. But they also have some, got a, a beautiful Cartier watch that belongs to Brian Epstein, the manager. They got Brian Epstein's date book. They've got lyric pages and stuff. So it's a cool little auction going on right now. And the good thing is I don't have to wear, take off my clothes to try anything on. I can just sit here and without my <laughs> pants on. I can shop without pants, but not after, anyway, you know what I'm saying. I always think of myself as like a relatively modest person. And then I see myself stripping down to my sports bra in the middle of a room full of women at a sample sale. And I realize, no, in fact, I have absolutely no self-respect, but whatever. Fans listening at home, I'm going to correct Ashley. She's got enormous self-respect. I think what happens is you have a temporary insanity brought on by a sample sale. It happens. Any court of law would say it was temporary insanity. I mean, after six months of not doing any shopping or buying a single thing or going into a single store, I mean, you can't blame me for going a little crazy. I'm not blaming you. I'm, <laughs> I'm absolving you. <laughs> I love it. Trying to just tell you, forgive yourself. It happens. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I can't wait till you see my new clothes. I can't wait to see what you think. Well, hopefully next week we'll record in person. We can see it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. One other thing I wanted to mention this week, just speaking of, I saw this too. It's not a story we have an issue, but a great live that I thought this week. There's a guy who is one of those guys that you probably know his work, but you don't see him talk about he died this week. His name is Ron Cobb, and he was a cartoonist, current conceptual and production designer in Hollywood. So if you've ever seen the Cantina scene in Star Wars, he did a lot of the, the crazy droids there. He designed Alien. He designed, if you saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind, that crazy scene where they find the ship in the middle of the Sahara Desert. That was him. He came up with, in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, he did the Nazi flying wing, a whole bunch of crazy 
stuff. I even did in Back to the Future, sort of came up with the initial designs of the DeLorean. So one of those guys who sort of like has an enormous impact on your visual pop culture, but you don't know who he is, died this week. But just wanted to sort of pay tribute to a guy who's like probably made more people dream and inspired sort of more people's visions than, than a lot of other people. So super talented production designer and, and former cartoonist. Thank you, Michael. Great story. You're welcome. Yeah, I just came across that. Michael, do you have anything else to recommend? I recently completed my mini Peter Bogdanovich Film Festival, early 1970s Peter Bogdanovich films with last Saturday, I think it was, Brooke and Why. I finally watched What's Up Doc with Ryan O'Neill and Barbara Streisand. Have you ever seen it? Wow, I haven't. So he did it with Ryan O'Neill before he put Ryan O'Neill in Paper Moon. And it's his kind of his take on screwball comedy where the studio had come to him and said, Barbara Streisand, super hot, the hottest young sort of like singer in the country right then. She was available to make a movie. They wanted to work with Bogdanovich. So he says, what do you have? And he says, I don't know. I kind of see it as like a Howard Hawks kind of like bringing up baby thing. So we like whip up this script, Buck Henry, Robert Benton. They do this script. They shoot it really quickly in San Francisco. And it's a crazy crazy farce. It's, it's a take on a screwball comedy and it left me wanting to ask now Wes Anderson if it ever inspired him because there's some moments in it where just the kind of production design and how it looks and the pacing, you can see some influence on Wes, maybe I'm imagining, but very fun movie again, like 90 minutes and so yeah, I've, I've now hit for the cycle with Last Picture Show, Paper Moon and What's Up Doc with early Bogdanovich. So I highly recommend it if you want to do a mini film festival. How about you? Michael, I can't follow that. I mean, that's just so like highbrow and wonderful and smart. I- I'm always in the way back machine and I figure like you're always on the pulse. Dude, you know what I watched last night? The Wedding Planner, okay? It's an early aughts classic with Jennifer Lopez and Matthew McConaughey. I've been going through a thing, okay? This Ruth Bader Ginsburg stuff has really thrown me and so I'm just looking for comfort television and the Netflix algorithm recommended it and it was enjoyable. If you have not seen it since 2001 or whenever it was released, it is kind of a fun watch. I just want to tell you, I've watched it. It's good, right? I've watched it with Brooke, yeah. Yeah, totally good. Now, I did watch something slightly more highfalutin, which is the new season of Call the Midwife, which despite sort of people think that it's a show about like people having babies. No, it's just a really great period drama, you see, that I highly recommend if you haven't watched it. It's beautifully done and really well told and incredible acting too. You know what movie I would watch right now and make me think of like The Wedding Planner? How about Two Weeks Notice with Sandra Bullock and Hugh Grant? Favorites. Love Sandy. See? Yes. Yeah, come on. You know what, Michael? Screw all of these great directors. I think we should have a Hugh Grant Film Festival, and we'll report back about that on Morning Meeting next week. I'm in. Four weddings and a funeral. I'm going to confess right now, and I have a friend in Chicago, but he would unfortunately vouch for me. I think I saw that in the theater four times. I watch it every year. I love it. Andy McDowell is heaven. Okay, so we have a lot of movies. Is it raining? I didn't notice. All right, I'm going to watch that tonight. I'll take that. You take About a Boy, Love Actually, and Notting Hill. Done. Oh, also, I got All Bridget Jones. Done. And then, you know, one of my favorite Hugh Grant movies, which is kind of embarrassing because it's probably his worst one, Music and Lyrics from 2007. No, see, I haven't seen that. Oh, you've got to see it. It's with Drew Barrymore. He plays like kind of a washed up singer who has to create a hit for a teen sensation for the holiday season. Anyway, it's really fun. And I kind of embarrassingly like the music. I actually bought the soundtrack for it back in 2007. <laughs> anyway it's probably loaded on your ipod somewhere wherever that was it was probably like totally actually i'm sorry michael to say um i think the iphone was not invented yet when that movie came out so it was probably on like one of those truly like first generation ipods yeah well ipod mini or something ipod mini absolutely
All right, Michael, I think we better stop here before we just evolve into sheer chaos. So will you please read us out? I will. And before I go, I just want to say one more time, it's important to register on the census. It's your last week to do it here in in America. So please, if you haven't, go to my2020census.gov because you all work too hard not to make sure you're not getting what's coming to you in your own community. So anyway, listen, Morning Meeting is produced by Airmail Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our co-editors are Graydon Carter and Alexander Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan and our deputy editors are Nathan King and Chris. Garrett. Our CMO is Emily Davis and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. Our theme music is The Cute Monster by Buddy Colette Quintet. Special thanks to Joe Perzicki. A new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday, so please subscribe and enjoy all our stories on airmail.news, which is updated every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly. We'll be back here on Saturday with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Most Most of all, thank you for joining us.